it's the B-A-Y-C. I'm a bored ass day. Welcome to Board Chili Podcast. I'm Vera. I'm Jackie. 100 Hot Ones is the first series of Board Chili Podcast. We'll have 100 apes from all over the world sharing their ape stories, talking about their projects or fun, or gave unique perspective on working in Web3. In this episode, we invited our ape family. Zach, he's founder of Snag Solutions. Before that, he was an early employee of DoorDash. Hi, Zach. Hey, thanks for having me on. Thank you for Welcome coming. to the show. Do you want to add a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, I'm Zach. I'm a sports nerd, NFT nerd, and love marketplace businesses, helping creators make money and be successful. At DoorDash, that was helping build a lot of our new merchant businesses, our pickup product, our ads and promotions product, but really energized diving into Web3 and helping support some of these native creators and keeping dollars in the ecosystem. We, we love supporting creators here. We're on the same mission. Do you want to tell us about your ape story? Absolutely. Yeah. Just taking a little bit of a step back, I bought the tiniest bit of Bitcoin in college and that was Web3 to me until about a year ago, maybe, maybe a little bit over that now. And when we went through a reorg at DoorDash, finally had the time and space to dive into something new, read the Ethereum white paper, lots of adjacent materials and really was quickly hooked by the promise of Web3, the promise of decentralizing banks, decentralizing governance models, et cetera. And really what actually grabbed my attention initially was decentralized finance. I've never been a big fan of big banking, highly extractive, not adding a lot of value to society, which is what initially led me to technology is the ability to create the ability to do something novel and new. And when I started playing around in protocols and felt like I was replacing a bank lending capital, I knew immediately that this was something worth putting time into. Funny enough, in full transparency, I got onto crypto Twitter, was following all the people, all the crypto punks, all the board apes. And if I'm being completely honest, I couldn't wrap my head around paying for a crypto punk. And I could at that time wrap my head around paying for a board ape. And that's what brought me into the community initially. Now the community from there hooked me. And so that's why I'm working full-time in NFTs today. I uh, really do fee view NFTs as just the next category and maybe someday the biggest category of e-commerce. And so see so many analogies, so many parallels from that DoorDash experience, building marketplaces, building merchant tooling and really excited to do the same exact thing, but with the NFT creator. And that, that's crazy how your experience lends itself to what you're doing now. That's all super, super cool. I do have to dive into this, this point you brought up that you couldn't get yourself to get a punk, but you got yourself an ape. What was going on in your head? Did you choose apes over punks? I genuinely do like the art on both projects, I would say first, and was drawn to both of them. I, I'm trying to be truthful here versus revisionist history. It was the quality of the people I was following on Twitter. And knowing, because at that point I was hooked by DeFi, I was hooked by Web3, I knew I wanted to be full-time in this space. And I wanted people to think as highly of me as I was thinking about this community. And so it was paying to, to some level, paying to participate in that community and be associated with this brand. And this was back in uh, maybe September, October last year, where apes were still on the rise, still obviously a, a huge fan of the community, but pre-rider reps, pre, you know, pre all the fun that has come since they... <laughs> They reached that top spot. So it was really easy for me to get excited about. Amazing. That's very interesting. Yeah. Were so you following Vera already at that point? You know, I probably was. She didn't follow me back until, <laughs> oh, I don't know, know, March or so, but she would have been on that list. <laughs> I, I, feel, I feel you, bro. I've been there. 
I'm in trouble. Oh my gosh. No, that's not true. Because I remember I met Zach in person first, right? I think we met during the game week in SF. And I hosted a party in SF, a party. And he texted to me. I heard there's a party. I was like, yeah, you're invited. Come over. And then I was already following her for like months before this is what we're leaving out. It's okay. So I, there's people all the time who are following me, who comment on something. I'm like, oh, I'm not following you back. So I, I get it. We get all it. Fun. Oh, the important thing is, so he brought the one. He messaged me. I bought this ape one from, I think it's from Captain in Miami. And it has a label on it. And he said, I want to bring this one to share with all the apes. And I was like, what a generous guy. Yeah, he wanted to share that very precious and valuable wine with everyone there. And that's how we met. And he brought the wine. We finished the wine. We were at our ape friend's restaurant and bar. It's called Sunset Pizza in SF. If anyone that happened to be there, please stop by and say hi to our friend. And we finished the wine and we left the wine bottle there. I think it's last week, someone went there and posted on Twitter and the wine bottle there. I was like, yeah, we opened it. So it became part of the history of how we met and this our ape story. So I guess three of us have a very common background that from big tech company to Web3. And Zach, as a founder, so how do you feel about this transition? It, there's two big transitions. There's part of a big company to being a founder. Crazy enough, I think that's actually been the bigger transition than Web2 to Web3. Obviously, there's some brilliant folks who have been in the space since 2016, since 2017, et cetera. But that's the vast minority. And so at this point, I feel like the desire of folks in the space to have other smart, capable people with real experience, real energy around what they're building, there's not much ramp up beyond understanding the subject matter before you're able to participate, add value, et cetera. Being a founder is absolutely as hard as advertised. People say it's the hardest thing you're ever going to do. And yet two weeks into the role, it was sitting at my desk by myself thinking, wow, this is the hardest thing I've ever done. And it really is because you are by yourself more than anything else. Not again, it's not what you're doing. It's not your ability to execute. But even though I have a co-founder, it's still far more isolating than working on large teams with matrixed organizations. I don't know if you saw, I was wiping tears away because I just feel you so much on this, this, yeah, this transitioning from web two to web three, not just that, but going from an employee to a founder, man, I personally aspire to spend more time in co-working spaces this next quarter. It's really hard to do to, to get that exit velocity and leave your door, but it, I, lots of energy from just other folks in web three working on hard problems together. Yeah, it's hard, but. I think most founders that I ask, like myself included, is if someone asked you, would you do it over again? Everyone would say yes, even though it's so tough. It's just so much more fun, right? Highs are highs, lows are lows. There's a customer, I won't name live, that didn't email me back for about five days this week. One of our biggest early customers. And when I finally heard back from them, I was like jumping around the room because the, the Nothing even happened. They just got back to my email, but the risk of any customer going dark at the earliest stages is make or break and makes every minute of it more fun. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, I guess maybe we can go a de- little bit deeper on this. So what do you think is the toughest thing about being a founder in Web3? Yeah, so I do think, and 
revving off of what I just said around co-working space and thinking about where we, Web3 is very remote first. All of society has shifted towards remote first. And still there's this obvious inherent value to co-working, to, to solving problems together, especially at the earliest stages of a business. I'm lucky my co-founder is also San Francisco based, but even though we're four miles away, we get together once a week. We meet with VCs who are in San Francisco. We never do that in person. We should. But I do think that there's network effects, sharing of ideas, feedback, et cetera. It happens very organically, even remotely at larger companies. And due to this shift to remote, you have to force those opportunities and those relationships to happen. Pinging and anyone who I hop on with remotely, who seems to be a remotely a friend fit, I try to force ourselves to go grab beers or something along those lines. <laughs> yeah. I feel like being a founder is ready. It's like a it's kind of a hero's journey, right? A lot of times you have to do it alone. Even do when you do have a co-founder, a lot of times you're on your own figuring things out. And on top of like, now the culture is all remote. Everyone's working remotely. So you're even more isolated in that sense. And you're in Web3, which is the Wild West. Like no one knows what the heck is going on. Things are changing every day. Uh, so all those things added up. It's pretty exciting. <laughs> Absolutely. Also important to take the 10% of your day for your, your personal degen time in this space, whether that's your favorite Discord channel. I'm in a couple of Bay Area eight chat groups with Vera that I try to stay reasonably engaged in. It replaces that, right? It's the best we have. So keeping yourself sane. <laughs> yeah. Can't forget about the board chili chat. Woo! Exactly. Woo, yay. <laughs> okay. But, yeah. But talking about your journey as a founder, I'd love to learn more about what you're building, Snag Solutions. Can you tell us a little bit about the story and like what you guys are doing? Absolutely. Yeah. I'll start with what we're building and then can work back through what led us here. So we are building tagline kind of Shopify for NFTs. And the problem we see in the space today is that marketplaces like OpenSea, Magic Eden, et cetera, take roughly a third of the total profit out of the ecosystem. And they do that without providing any intrinsic value for creators. Let me work back with through what I just said. On a typical NFT sale, a holder pays roughly 5% in royalty to the creator, the project, but they pay roughly 2.5% in royalty to OpenSea, Magic Eden, or equivalent. And the difference we see in e-marketplaces versus traditional marketplaces like a DoorDash, a Facebook, et cetera, that, that have meaningful network effects is that in NFTs, people decide to purchase on social. So you decide, I want a board ape or I want a CryptoPunk. The amount of folks who are actively shopping between those two projects with an eye towards a single purchase, I'm not saying it doesn't happen at all, but it's minuscule. And projects are really driving their own traffic. And yet here they are letting the marketplace, the technology provider, take a third of the profits. And so we see this core mismatch in value created versus value extracted. And that's the ethos of Web3. We see an ability to build a less extractive marketplace experience that is easily integrated into projects' own websites. Uh, the CryptoPunks marketplace is an awesome example of what we're trying to build towards here. But again, really making it the easiest thing for a creator to set live without pulling away from their core roadmap. We customize the experience for you and let folks launch their own secondary sales channel by pointing a URL at that uh, native experience. Building for the creator and then reducing fees to roughly a half percent of the transaction, so cutting about 80% of the margin 
out of the marketplace business model in order to help support creator sales. So, so projects can have their custom domain and then you guys provide out of the box marketplace solution and they just add their branding. It's like, like a Squarespace for marketplaces for the, each for the unique branding and product, right? Is Absolutely. That... Yeah. Super cool. Very interesting. What about your team? I know you have a co-founder and do you mind to introduce a little bit background of your co-founder and have some ape advisors? They're very active in the space. Do you also mind to introduce the team as well? Absolutely. Yeah. My co-founder is Jason Jong. He's one of the best engineers I've ever worked with and was our first merchant engineering manager at DoorDash, owned merchant product and payments product. He and I worked really closely together to build out our ads platform at DoorDash. I was the business lead on that initiative and he was leading the build. And that led through to the carousel real estate that we still use at DoorDash today to merchandise different uh, merchant offerings. So we worked really closely together then. He uh, subsequently spent about a year at Modern Treasury building a ledgers product that was really utilized by crypto businesses where he started to get some exposure to the space. And we stayed in touch over the last couple of years, always with some line of sight towards working together, building something together. So really excited to be on this journey with him. In terms of advisors, we have three awesome advisors right now. Tropo Farmer was the first one on. He's somewhere near the top of the list on eight influencers and has been super helpful. He actually is a kind of engineer by background. So he's been really helpful on some of the design processes, helping us think through early. We have NFT Prez, who is not fully doxxed, but I can say he is far more impressive in his day job than he is on Twitter. Although he has plenty of following, et cetera, he's done things before. And it's been really helpful thinking about fundraising, thinking about go to market, thinking about partnerships. And then finally, we have Champ T. Graham, who is building his own project, Alpha Community at Champs Only Pass. And it's been super helpful thinking through the project runner's view on the ecosystem. So really excited to have all three of them along for the ride. That's amazing. When I look at the advisors, these are people that I don't know who they are, but I'm definitely familiar with them because I've chatted with them on Discord to like make a deal for apes multiple times. <laughs> so it's, I love how you have the top DJs, like the big advisors funny. for you guys, right? <laughs> yeah. Hey, our business, we're selling to the project. And so it is a B2B sale, no different than enterprise SaaS, really. And, and so our ability to augment our network and get in touch with folks via the, this cohort of trusted advisors has been absolutely instrumental early on. Yeah, I can imagine. And I say DJ in the best. I've started putting <laughs> DJ in my description on our fundraising deck. So anyone who doesn't like the term is probably not the right investor in this space. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we aligned on that. Yeah. And you also have communities, right? You have Chile communities, our pink Dow and the Bay Area apes, we're all here to support and see what I can help. But what about the people that you're working with other than the founders? Is there any clients that you're working with? Because I think you mentioned it before. Any customers? Yeah, absolutely. And we are, for context, about two weeks away from launching our first partner, CryptoChecks. And I Ooh. can name them and there may be a couple others I can name, but far more who I can't just due to where we are in the contracting process, et cetera. So we, we have 10 plus projects committed 
all projects that DGENs like us would have heard of before and are excited to start setting those experiences live towards the end of August. One thing that I, personal background, I got too many crypto chicks at one point. Who knows how you draw the line on too many, so maybe just the right amount. But I actually started helping them as a board member kind of an advisor, maybe towards the beginning of this year, as they went through some challenges on IP, thinking through how to set up the collection for long-term success and really have leaned on them in reverse to help us think through how to build for the project, how to get them set up with a, a suite of solutions that really helps them serve their community. So that's been a super helpful relationship and a great example of very similar to the communities you mentioned, Vera how how small the space still is and how important the actual relationships still are. It's small enough that, that the value of networking is still outsized, it feels like, versus other industries, other sectors. Yeah. I think one thing you mentioned that was really interesting is the major marketplaces take a huge cut on royalties. So you mentioned 5% usually, and it's actually a custom amount that any department can set. Some people put it at 10%. I believe that's the max. And then they take a 2.5 on top. So it's ranged from 5 to 10 to 12. And you guys only take 0.5%. So yeah, that makes it really tough. How do you compensate for that margin difference? Or yeah. do you have any other thoughts around like the creator royalty in general? Absolutely. There, there, there's some great quote that I'm going to get slightly wrong here. But in, innovation is not driven by having a bunch of cash on your balance sheets. It's driven by constraints. At DoorDash, the reason we full stop one in food delivery is because we were cash starved for the first three, four years of the company's life cycle. And it forced us to be smarter on active efficiency and driver pay. It forced us to be smarter on our partnerships and expansion strategy. And when we finally did get cash onto the balance sheet in year four in a meaningful way via SoftBank, it was all up to the right from the real work actually happened beforehand for the most part. And so with this business model, we have introduced our own constraint. OpenSea in their most recent round, they were running at about 80% margin. So 0.5% versus 2.5%, we're, we're looking at about a break-even business model. And that's very intentional because one, we do think we can run a business. We think we can sustain ourselves in the midterm. But two, we are serving the creator, right? Just like at DoorDash, we had to drive more value for the restaurant partner so that we could monetize, we are going to be forced to drive more value for the creator so that we can find additional revenue streams over time. Minting services would be a really easy example here where today projects pay really no less than $20,000 to mint a new collection. And so as we build white label tools around that core service, we can find new revenue streams and find our way to profitability. Not saying it's going to be easy, but what I wanted to make sure is that we weren't undercutting just a little bit and leaving room for that next provider to come and undercut us. We are really going to the floor of our ability to run a successful business. And then we're confident that we can be creative on other revenue streams, other ways to find efficiency over time. So you guys take 0.5% of the platform fee, but is it still royalty free for the creator? Is that yeah, like so the royalty also? is unchanged. Okay. Yeah, Got and it. I think we wanted to talk a tiny bit about creator royalties. Ultimately, the, and this is my thesis, obviously none of this has been proven out yet, but what we're starting to see is because the technology exists to obfuscate creator royalties, there is now pressure on creator royalties. And what I mean by that is that creators over time are going to have to continue to deliver value in line with what they're monetizing. And that, by the way, that's very different for a one-on-one -on -one artist, a generative artist, maybe value for them is keeping the total count art created 
in a reasonable range and continuing to engage with the community versus for a PFP project, it means continuing to drive value, continuing to innovate, et cetera. But at the end of the day, we want to reduce the marketplace fee as close to zero as possible so that there's no reason for the community to eliminate those creator fees. Where I really see things going over time is that the biggest creators, the most successful, will have a version of what we're building live, but they'll do it at no marketplace fee and they'll probably pay us the equivalent of a subscription so that they can have a single line item that they can easily rationalize to their customers, their holders, and their prospective buyers and have plenty of kind of analogs to the web two world for why I think things will go that direction. But Rit really view our tech as something that helps creators own that experience, keep the royalty stream alive. Yeah, I like it when you said that you wanted to bring the valuable creators on the platform and getting this to be business and making the marketplace relatively low cost for the users. Well, remember that we had this evolution and people are getting really emotional on OpenSea because of the centralization with how much they're taking. And we're using the product that done really bad. And you see the ape got del delisted by accident one time <laughs> and that. people get really mad about those things. And oh, the SOS token airdrop, and we had this, the rare airdrop as well. So there are more and more DAO-based marketplaces come out. So what do you think about that? How you compete with those kind of marketplace? Yeah, let, let me take a step back and overuse Web2 analogy. So I'll apologize up front for that. Uh, but when I think about marketplaces versus direct consumer e-commerce, which is what we're building here as part of the merchant's experience, industries always start with marketplaces. And then they evolve to shift consumer behavior to the direct channel as the industry matures. Media, Hotwire, et cetera. That would be one good example where they created the online travel booking category. But today, the majority of hotel bookings come through hotel websites and something close to 50% of flight bookings come through airline websites. The same is true in food delivery. The same is true of Amazon versus Shopify. And so what we see is less of direct competition versus the marketplace and more on helping the creator build their own native experience that best serves their consumers. And the fees element here is important. I don't want to understate it. People book through AmericanAirlines.com so they get better airlines points or reduced booking fares, right? There's always a fees element where marketplaces take money to exist. And so as things get closer to the native experience, the fees are reduced, whether that's for the business or the consumer. But beyond that, we, we see real opportunity to help make these experiences the only place that, that, that folks transact over. The CryptoPunks marketplace is a great example here. The Solana Monkey Business Marketplace is another one. But because NFT selection is project specific, like I said before, people are not deciding between the board ape and the CryptoPunk. As we get to all of the liquidity in a single buying experience by aggregating other listings and then serving the, these own cheaper listings through the direct channel, we think we have an opportunity to be the dominant buying experience on a project by project basis. Sorry, that was a lot there. <laughs> That's so interesting. I just see so many directions that different marketplaces are taking are going. You have the big ones, the centralized like OpenSea. You have the more localized ones, right? There are ones who just serve a local population. And there's an ape in the community that does one for uh, for Mongolia. So it's just like Mongolia NFT marketplace, cool. which is very interesting. And you have like very personalized ones, like the ones you guys have, just personalized Shopify experience, custom tailored to the branding. 
And then you also have the decentralized ones, right? Like the PseudoSwap and AMM. That's recently a lot of people been talking about. Yeah, what are your thoughts on all these different directions? And I guess the last one of AMA is something that's recently people have been talking about. So curious, you have any thoughts on that too? Yeah, the only model... No, I guess there's two models that I don't love. One is anything that obfuscates the creator royalty. I think, I, I hope to some degree we're all in the space to support creators. And while there's a, a space for over-the-counter transactions, I don't personally want to transact on or be associated with platforms that just full-on cut out those royalties. I know PseudoSwap is interesting because they're both cutting out that royalty and doing some pretty interesting stuff on the AMM side. So talking about the AMM separately from the royalty piece, I do think that's a meaningful innovation. While marketplaces are, are meant to create liquidity, give sellers exits, things are meant to help sellers not need exits. And so I, I actually see these two things working in parallel over time. But the last thing I'd say is all of this competition is good. Um, OpenSea and, and Magic Eden, not only are they centralized in terms of being monopolies on their respective chains, they're also centralized in the rate they take and their technology stacks. OpenSea, all of their on-chain listings and on-chain offers are stored in their centralized database. So if there was a database attack, or if OpenSea is not going out of business, but if they did, the NFT industry would be all left in an awful place. And then Magic Eden's actually even worse. They are custodying Solana assets for the user. And so they've effectively blocked aggregators like Gem and Genie from aggregating their listings because the Magic Eden wallet needs to countersign. And they're, they're blocking other builders from creating aggregated solutions on top which is really against the ethos of Web3. It's all about interoperability. It's about decentralization and it's about non-extraction. And I, OpenSea, I actually like the direction on more. The Seaport API clearly a step in, in the right space, but re really view all competition as positive so that we can start to push uh, those two dominant players to adapt and embrace some of these changes. Yeah, can you elaborate what you said about how AMAs make help sellers keep liquidity? Is that the language you use? What, yeah, what is I need to look a little bit more at the PseudoSwap model. Let me talk about NFTX, which is very adjacent and I'm more familiar with, if that's okay. So, so in that model, which I believe is highly analogous, if I have an ape and the ape floor price is 100 ETH, I know it's lower than that right now, but giving myself an easy number to work with, then I can, <laughs> and I need some level of liquidity, I can leverage, I think it's up to 30% of that floor price by putting it into the NFTX AMF. And so if my goal is short-term liquidity, which is what forces a lot of sales, then the financialization of NFTs actually helps holders get to their goal, which is liquidity, without selling the NFT itself. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So we're yeah. actually competitive in a sense, right? Like we want you to sell the NFT. They want you to hold the NFT and, and put it on chain as collateral. Both solutions should exist and they should exist as part of a complete product suite. I view mm -hmm. them as different, but yeah. both important. It's how Aave and Aave and Uniswap both need to exist. Absolutely. Yeah. Boom. I've seen Zach had a proposal at ApeDAO and regarding the marketplace. And I think you also mentioned buying NFTs with the Ape token have some benefit and you're going to burn some of the Ape token. Do you mind to go a little bit detail on the plan regarding the Absolutely. Ape token? 
the main reason I'm excited to chat today. So we are in process on our ApeCoin DAO proposal. It's submitted as an AIP idea right now, and you can see it on the ApeCoin DAO forums. Our proposal is, there's two things that we're trying to do to set ourselves apart. One is we are actively supporting the ApeCoin ecosystem by setting, setting a hold 0.25% of every transaction in a multi-sig wallet for future use by the community. There are some legal complexity where the DAO is not able to accept that funding today. And there, there are several proposals in process to solve that. But in the interim, we want to make sure that we're actively supporting the DAO and giving the community the funding uh, to drive additional impact in the future. So that's number one. Number two, we are charging zero fee beyond that 0.25% on ApeCoin transactions. So it'd be just the 0.25% for the community in order to incentivize use of ApeCoin. And then we're monetizing just 0.25% on Ethereum transactions as our core revenue stream. And so I mentioned that half percent revenue model here because the Ape community is the strongest, the best, a lot of superlatives. We want to put our best foot forward. We didn't want to go to zero because we wouldn't be able to sustain development and keep delivering the best product for the DAO if we didn't have any revenue incoming. And again, in terms of trying to run the business as leanly as we can, that quarter percent is really the best we could confidently deliver value. The last thing I would say here when it comes to decentralization and our actual tech stack is as part of this process, we pivoted our approach to smart contracting. And we're now leveraging Reservoir OX's on-chain and open source order book. And so every time a listing is made on our platform or an offer is made on our platform, it's stored on our Weave, a low-cost blockchain versus a centralized order book like some of our competitors who I just chatted about. And so th th there's two exciting pieces about that. One is it's a major leg up with an iPod security risk. If there ever was an attack, we would be able to restore listings and make sure that we weren't impacting users. But then more importantly, if the DAO ever wanted to replace us as their front end in the future, the listings are on chain. So they're back to the concept of composability, interoperability. We are setting ourselves up to be replaced and putting our best foot forward in terms of adhering to community values. So hopeful that the reduction in fees and the focus on really building with Web3 values in mind helps us resonate with the broader ape community. That is so cool. I just want to say the whole thing about storing it on Arweave uh, versus a lot of the marketplaces store it on their centralized servers, which is very dangerous. Right? If you can, someone hacks and steals your signature, you can easily, I don't know what, what will happen, but bad things could happen. Where did you guys store it on Arweave? I just want to comment on that, how that's super cool. And yeah, like making your front end replaceable, that is the true ethos of Web3. So hats off to you guys for putting your foot forward and definitely support and vote for you. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate it. Another question is that when we see a lot of stolen apes that users can report it on the marketplace, like OpenSea, right? All the marketplace, they don't talk to each other oh, this is the stolen ape. So how will your marketplace deal with that kind of scenarios? Those people have to always go back to OpenSea to see this ape is stolen. Absolutely. Yeah, let me talk about wh how we're approaching this philosophically for, first to cover the, the color of the rest of the answer. We want to be as decentralized as possible while protecting buyers and 
not ending up in, in legal trouble with the government. And so the way we're approaching this is one, we are using the open sea flag for stolen items and surfacing them very clearly on the item page so that buyers are aware of what is flagged on that channel and can choose to use that information however they want. Very similar to the Gem Genie experience where they flag those listings. And then because we have our own smart contracting where folks can list directly, we'll have our own stolen items reporting process so that if folks report directly to us and are able to provide evidence of theft, not too dissimilar to, to OpenSea's re revised policy, then we will manually block the, those items from being listed on our platform as well. But what we don't want to do is just look at the OpenSea flag and take that as a source of truth. We know there are misflagged items and we know there are items where maybe they were stolen six months ago, but what is, I know that's well prior to the statute of limitations on a stolen handbag, but on the blockchain with the speed of transactions, it's tough for me to justify penalizing the current holder for that. I like it a lot because I've seen people have problems with the flag and after many months later, they run into issues. So it's definitely the designing problem of this marketplace and what, what, what we can do to make it better. And I like that. A lot of apes, including both of you guys, are trying to build something better for, for this whole ecosystem. And I just love it. And putting so much effort, quitting their very stable, happy Web2 job, got 100% into this space during the bear market. So how far is, are we away from the project launch? And when will we be able to use it? Yeah, so our first customer is CryptoChicks, and I hope they're okay with me saying that publicly, but aiming to launch in roughly two weeks, last day of August or so. We're still firming things up. We have a live experience. We could launch today. It's load time improvements and little things so that we make sure that we're putting our best foot forward on day one. And then I just fall on, I couldn't agree more. It's an exciting time to be building, right? This is 2001, to use Web1 analogy. And so some of the most meaningful businesses are being built as we speak. Yeah. yeah, I actually view community-led marketplaces as a major upcoming trend in, in NFT marketplaces. I think on cyber, that they're doing some really interesting stuff on kind of asset curation and curation across community members. And so as you start to, to extrapolate these two themes, first party experience and then curation, community ownership, et cetera, I think you'll get to some really interesting love childs between those, those, those two topics. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. And I, I don't know if you guys heard of the Soulbound. Yeah, super Soulbound cool. tokens. It's like non-transferable NFT uh, community members having this Soulbound token verified experience or sh showing that their identity as part of the community, but it taking out of the financial part that since you can't trade it, you can't transfer it, that actually making people feel the ownership of this, the community or DAO. So I think with that growing in the future, like it can bring a lot of more communities like us onto the platform. Love that. Yeah. I have uh, last, maybe one question and one feature request. <laughs> Love to hear it. The question is, it's, so if CryptoChicks or any project now start using Stack Solutions, what is the top of the funnel? Are they, do they have to drive their own kind of community to the marketplace through their Discord, their Twitter? Because I think a lot of the natural thing for people to do is, oh, I heard this new project. Let me go find it on OpenSea, right? How do you counter that, that habit that people have instead of, because no one's going to go, no one really goes to the Discord first and then wondering they had a custom marketplace. It's just not the trend. So yeah, question yeah. on that. How do you? So that we're going to have to solve that problem over time. We ran a user survey as we were getting going a couple months ago. And what we found from a behavior perspective is that 
roughly 90% of folks decide to buy an NFT on social, whether that's Twitter, Discord, et cetera. And then Hmm. of that 90%, roughly half go to the project Twitter page and go to a website, go to whatever marketplace link is there, et cetera. And so that's the immediately addressable opportunity is to put that link as the default link in the Twitter page from the website, et cetera, so that we're capturing demand there. The Mm. other maybe 40% of the 90 is doing exactly what you're saying. They're Googling project name OpenSea. And I know I do that plenty today. I wish I had a amazing answer for you, but I think our long-term bet is that by building rich digital experiences around the marketplace, things like uh, token-gated social directories so that we can all surface our profile information, location, more easily identify and connect across projects as we do things like project CRM and help projects communicate with with holders, bring them back to the website ongoing. That's how we familiarize the holder base that this solution exists. And because all listings come from the holder base and most sales come from the existing holder base, that's how we plan to drive this flywheel effect. All fairly theoretical at this point, but that's the strategy. Uh, That's fascinating. Yeah. And I also assume that if people know one place is cheaper, they'll naturally go there. Just human nature. Because exactly. I think sometimes LipSquare is cheaper than OpenSea. So people sometimes look on LipSquare first uh, before going to OpenSea for the people who are more pro. And yeah. Absolutely. And because we're aggregating, like a Jam or a Genie, we're aggregating all of the project's listings. We are that best source on day one and we'll only get better from there as we get native listings, unique listings. Oh, you're aggregating from, say, OpenSea onto... Yeah. Oh, so our experience is native half percent, which is how we monetize over time. But be- the seller value prop is I want to pay as little on listing as possible. The buyer value prop is I want to see all of the NFTs for the project. And so we're trying to do both. I think another thing is if this proposal passed because of the Yuga Labs project providing majority of transactions in history, including the CryptoPunks. So I think be able to getting the big project default using your platform is definitely bring a lot of more traffic. And over time, especially during the bear market, that we can educate the users with different platforms, like they use TikTok or other platforms that to educate them about this new marketplace. The bear market is a perfect time for you to do that. Less noise. Exactly. <laughs> Wait, I have an open-ended, oh, I have, still have a feature request that I haven't said. And I also have another open-ended question that I just thought of. <laughs> I'm looking is there a world where you think about tokenomics and incentives where you can maybe give the project a, a cut, a bigger cut of the royalty so then they will show your platform for you, line the incentive for them to tell their holders, can continuously tell the holders like, hey, if you want to buy here, because we get a cut from here more than we get a cut from OpenSea. Would that be yeah, interesting? So there's two ways we're approaching that. We, we yeah. are absolutely thinking about tokenomics. I'll come back to that in a second. But yeah. right now, this is a B2B sale. And so we're having, we're signaling our openness to reducing that marketplace fee for projects to promote only our website. I would call that marketing exclusivity. We're not asking them to not be on OpenSea, but we're asking them to not link to OpenSea or push any tra- traffic in that direction. I mean, can bring down that, that fee a little bit in return. Midterm, absolutely, we see real opportunities on tokenomics, different from saying we're committed to any particular model, but the simplest thing would to be to have a, either a whether it's a project NFT or a fungible token, to have something that decreases fees for holders and find a way to distribute that 
to projects to their holders through the right set of incentives. So very interested in something like that in the future. Yeah. I love tokenomics, so I can nerd out about it all day. I think that's super cool. And before we go too deep, I don't want to go too deep into that because <laughs> it's a whole kind of worms yep. when we talk about tokenomics. Let's get the feature request already. <laughs> yes. So since the marketplace is custom for each holder, and this is something that I always I always wondered, like, for example, your Instagram has an explore page, right? That shows you all the things that your friends like and you like, your, your connections. So if you have a marketplace that's just unique to one collection, you can also have discovery experience for, like, oh, for all the crypto chicks. Here are the other projects that the crypto chicks also like. The top projects that other crypto chicks are also holding. And you build this whole like expanding ecosystem where one project can then expand to other projects and you build relationships between projects through your platform. Jackie, you nailed exactly where we're going. When I talk about that social tooling, that's exactly what we want to build next. Is No, I'm not going to try to flash something on video here. I'll just screw it up. That That is where we're going. So when I talk about so, social profiles, that helps us get to this directory view of who's doing what. And so very quickly, you'll be able to see of the board apes, how many are in whatever, 700 are crypto punks, 7,000 are rare ape pepes right now, it feels. So getting a sense of like, where is the community going? Where, what are folks aping in together? We want to provide that tooling over time. Super excited. Yeah, that'll be huge. Yeah, really looking forward for using your platform. We all know that next month we'll have a huge unlock of Ape Token and providing more use cases for the Ape Token is also very good for the Ape ecosystem. And we need more than just marketplace. We need games, other things to, do to support the Ape Token as well. I'm glad that you're being part of a member and taking us on the first to experience this. And I'm really looking forward to try it. For the, all the listeners, if you're an investor, Zach, it, I think it's still in the stage of fundraising and reach him out on Twitter to get more detail on that. Also, if your partner is looking for marketplace, reach Snack Solutions as well. Jackie, do you have any questions that you want to ask or anything I'm missing here? No more questions. No more future requests. Just want to say I'm super, bo super bullish. Love the direction you guys are going. I think, yeah, I think there's so many different marketplaces and you guys really found something really unique, very niche, and that's very true to the ethos of Web3. So I'm fully excited and supportive. Awesome. Th thanks so much. <laughs> I'm equally bullish on this podcast. Had a great time coming on today. And thanks, Vera, for doing my shell for me at that. Wait a minute. I have a very important thing to say before we wrap this up. If you're a token holder and once this proposal get on it, I hope this podcast gave you more information on Zach, the team, Snack Solutions and what they're doing. If you enjoy and like what they're doing, agree with what they're doing and want to be part of it, please vote for them. And let's let's take our ape and have our own marketplace, not depending on open seas. I'm really looking forward for this. Thanks so much, Vera. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for coming and spending time and have this wonderful conversation with us. So hope everything goes well and let us know how we can help. And cheers for the future. Will do. See you at the next party. Cheers, cheers. Bye. Awesome. Bye.